Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll begin um, with just a little bit of review from this morning in verse 1, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 1. One of the things that we have been looking into here of late is what the Bible has to say about, um, about us as the body of Christ. And I'm sure it's the case with other churches. It certainly has been the case with us here over the years um, in that people have a tendency to study the scriptures to find out what they're saying to them personally. Or they reach out and draw near to God because they need his help with some issue or some problem in their own individual or personal life. And while God is a personal God, while we have a personal relationship with Him, an individual relationship with Him, He knows you, He knows you by name, He knows how many hairs are on your head, um, and certainly the Bible teaches that, and if you think I'm saying the Bible doesn't, then you're not, you're not hearing what I'm saying. But if that's all we ever understand from the Scriptures is, you know, I call it a what's in it for me mentality, an individualized, personalized approach to a relationship with God, then we've really missed the heart of God. And if we get there tonight, if not, we'll get there next Sunday morning. Even what he says was the intention or the purpose behind our creation. And that intention or that purpose um, was for you to be a member of the body of Christ. Which means literally you becoming one with Jesus. Um, you know, I can talk about the thumb on my right hand, but it's as much a part of my body as any other part of my body. It's one with my body. And we have become individual members of the body of Christ, and the Bible says because we're individual members of the body of Christ, we've then, by default, become members of one another. Uh, the connection that binds us, that, that, that joins us together, is far more than attending the same church together. It's certainly far more than some kind of, uh, you know, social network app or friends on Facebook or something like that. We, we, we have things that go as deep and as rich as eternity itself that have joined us together. And this is, of course, where the real purpose of the church is unfolding, is in this understanding of you know, we're a part of something much bigger than ourselves. And so what does it mean to be the body of Christ? And that's a, a major shift. We've gone through a few shifts over the years here at Heritage, um, celebrating our 20th year together this year. And over the last 20 years, we've went through different shifts as the Lord has revealed different things to us. And this is a very important shift that we're making. And if I could be so bold, please, um, you can only go so far and grow so far in the things of God with a personalized, individualized approach to your relationship with Him. Amen. He wants you to understand where you belong in Him, which involves more than just knowing who you are in Him. But He wants you to understand your purpose, your role, your place in the body of Christ. Now, we can be 
become members of a lot of things. You can join a gym and be a member of a gym. You can join a social club, you know, the Kiwanis or the Key Club or whatever, and do good charitable works. And um, you know, you can be the member of a, of a baseball team or a softball team, whatever. We can, in other words, we we can join up and be a part of and members of of a lot of different things. But but the most important membership, and I believe it is hardwired into us to be a member of something. And that's why people join so many different things is they're trying to scratch that itch. But as in, I'm not trying to dismiss those things. If you like to play softball, go for it, right? Enjoy yourself. But none of that can ever be a substitute for what you're really longing for. And that is that you were created to be a member of the body of Christ. And that was the intent of God even behind the creation of all humanity and certainly um, your individual, my individual existence. One of the things that we brought out this morning or the Holy Spirit emphasized this morning was this. There's greatness in every single one of us. When Jesus' disciples aspired to greatness, he didn't rebuke them for it. He actually instead confirmed that they had greatness in them and told them how to be great. And he told them that in order to be great, you had to become a servant to others. And the greatness that is within each of us can only be unlocked through a willingness to serve your gift to other people. The idea, of course, is, or I say the idea, maybe I should say it this way, the attitude is... How can I help you succeed? How can I help somebody else be a better version of who God created them to be? What can I do as far as serving my gift to the world to make a difference in someone else's life? If you will begin to approach life and your relationship with God with that kind of attitude, you will unlock and discover potential ability greatness, gifts, talents that you had no idea were in you. But if we never make that shift, if we never go from what's in it for me to what can I do to help somebody else, the potential that's dormant within us will remain dormant and we'll even carry it to our graves. A lot of people do. A lot of people do. The Bible says that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more above and beyond anything that you could ask, think, or imagine. That that, that, he has, that he has, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for you, right? But it's only through this attitude of what I call a body mentality, where it's, it's not about me, but it's about the community. It's, it's about others. It's about the body. That's when our true purpose and our true potential is realized and, and fulfilled. And so... We, we took on a big assignment this morning and we didn't get very far into it, but we're working our way quickly through a couple of three chapters here in Ephesians to show, first of all, to plant because there's power in the Word of God to produce whatever it says, whatever it speaks to, but also just to emphasize, you know, what we're talking about here because as important as it is for you and me to personalize the Word of God, and we've been preaching that for 20 plus years now, if we only see it from an individualistic 
position and not as the body of Christ, again, we're missing out not just on what we could have otherwise enjoyed and experienced, but we're missing out on what I believe is the heart of God behind all of this. So let's just jump. I'm not going to go through all of it, those of you here this morning, but notice Paul an Apostle, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul an Apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going from I, me, and my to we and us and our. Amen? Let's make that shift together. From I and me and my to we and us and our. So notice that this letter and all the contents of it are written to the saints, plural. This is speaking of the church, which is his body. And he says, grace and peace to you, the saints, from God our Father. He's not just my Father, he's our Father. He's all of our fathers, amen? All of our Father, amen. I don't know if that's right English, but it's right doctrine. Let's look at a couple more, then we'll go to some new stuff. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our, there it is again, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Think about what he's saying there. Again, and I'm, when I say I'm guilty, I'm not saying that I'm wrong or if you've only looked at it this way that you're wrong. It's one thing, did you ever in school get one of those, you know, you can get an A, a B, a C, a D, or an F, okay? Or there's one other kind of outlier, and that's the I, that's the incomplete, right? Did you ever get an incomplete? I might not get many incompletes, but teachers that gave you an incomplete were being merciful. They, in other words, they were saying, giving you a chance to finish an assignment maybe and get a better grade, all right? So if we, if we only read this, um, that I was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, it's not that that's wrong. You were chosen as an individual he chose you to be in Christ before the foundation of the world. So it's not that that's wrong, but it's incomplete. It's actually more than that. He didn't just choose you, he chose us. He chose the people that are sitting next to you. And he chose you and he chose that other person and those other people. And he chose us together. So he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. He then goes on to say that we have redemption through His blood, and that um, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will. Do you see how he's emphasizing each of these plural pronouns? Look at this in verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time, of the times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth, in Him. Let me try to explain this to you real quick. And one of the things that we said this morning, there's no way to cover all of this. You know, it's just too much teaching here. But he's saying that Jesus is the point of convergence. Jesus is where we all find our commonality. 
Jesus is where we all find our oneness, our unity. If Rodney is one with Jesus, and if I'm one with Jesus, that makes me one with Rodney. Because we have come together in Christ. But notice he says that Jesus is not just the point of convergence. Do you understand where, like, where all points converge, where all things converge? It's not just that, that all those who have called upon the name of the Lord on the earth, that we have converged in Jesus, but he's saying that Jesus is the point of convergence for all of us on the earth, but he's also the point of convergence for all things in heaven. Now, what does that mean? Let's go back to the example. If Rodney's one with Jesus, and I'm one with Jesus, that makes me and Rodney one with one another. But if God the Father, who's in heaven, is one with Jesus, and Rodney's one with Jesus, that makes Rodney one with God the Father in Christ. Are you seeing this? It also makes him one with the Holy Spirit in Christ. It also makes him one with the authority of heaven in Christ. It makes him one with the resources of heaven in Christ. So it's in Jesus that all things that, are, that belong to God on the earth are, are in him and all things that belong to God in heaven have been given to him. And it's in this place that all of this comes together. Are you following me? Now, notice how the enemy is trying to get you and me to think separate. He's trying to get you to think individual. He's trying to get you to think personal. He's trying to get you to look at this thing based upon what's in it for you. What does a relationship with Jesus have to offer you? When He's saying to you, everything and everybody is coming together in Christ, and it's in that kind of mindset that we have access to these things. Are you following me so far? So verse 11, it says, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance. Not just you have obtained one individually, but we have obtained one collectively, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who, walks, who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Now, there's another part of this that, and we've already, said, we've already read a verse or two about it, I haven't really highlighted it yet, but notice that he's saying along the way as he's explaining these things that all of this is according to God's will. All of this is according to His plans. All of these things are things that He determined, He decided, and He literally put in writing before the foundation of the world was set in place. So all of this is playing out according to a grander scheme or a grander plan or a grander purpose. Amen. Verse 13, In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Again, there it is. When He goes to the inheritance, it becomes plural. Our, our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Let me keep going here. Verse 15, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So again, verse 16 uses a word that can either mean you individual or you as a group. 
And he means it as you as a group. He's speaking of you, the oneness of the church. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. I want us to focus on that last phrase for just a moment. What are the riches that you may know? Let's time out here. The context of this is a prayer that Paul is praying for the church. What is Paul's assignment? Paul's assignment is our assignment. To build the body of Christ. To build the body of Christ. We talked about this last Sunday evening. The ministry of reconciliation is the technical terminology for this. And we see that through the ministry of reconciliation, the gospel is preached. In other words, the message of Jesus, the good news of what Jesus has done for all humanity, is proclaimed. People hear it, respond to it, and are born again. This is when they become a part of the body of Christ. Then through discipleship, through teaching, this is how they grow up into that which they became through the new birth. This is building the body of Christ. It's not just more people coming into the church, which is His body, more people being born into it, but it's those who have been born into it being trained, being developed, being grown, being equipped to then do what? Take up a a shovel, so to speak, and, and build the body of Christ and be a part of that. Are you following what I'm saying here? So, in building the body of Christ, we see that there were certain things, and we see two of these prayers in Ephesians, there are others in Colossians, things that Paul prayed and spoke continually over the church. This is one of my favorites. I would be exaggerating if I said every single morning, but I'm, I'm going to just say 95% of every morning, this, I pray this prayer over all of us. I prayed over myself, I prayed over my family, I prayed over my family of faith, I prayed over my foundry family, I prayed over our family of ministry partners in different places around the world. And notice what he's praying. He's praying that you, when he says you, he does mean you as an individual, but again, what Paul literally meant was that you as the church, so we could say we, that we would know what is the hope of our calling that we would be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. That we would understand what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Holy Spirit, help us tonight. Amen? Holy Spirit, help us tonight. See, when... When we read this passage, the last phrase, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in us? Let's talk for a minute about inheritance. Inheritance is what belongs to you because of who you are. This church is called Heritage Christian Center. Your heritage is what belongs to you because of who you are. And the Bible certainly, we've already read a verse or two that talks about 
the inheritance that we've received because of who we are in Christ. What belongs to you because of who you are in Christ. The thing about inheritance is you don't do anything to earn or deserve inheritance. It's what somebody else gave their entire life for you to have. That's inheritance. Are you following me? So when we talk about what we've inherited, we're talking about what what belongs to us because of all the work that Jesus did for us as us. This is our inheritance. Now he He has flipped the script, if you will. Now he's talking about his inheritance. What is God's inheritance? God's inheritance is what belongs to God because of who God is, because of who He is. That's His inheritance. Right? Are you following this? Notice where He is storing His inheritance. In the saints. In other words, God has invested the best of Himself in you and me. Where is His kingdom? Where is His kingdom? His kingdom is in you. He has put His kingdom in you. All the resources, all the authority, all the provision. Again, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to help us tonight because these are things powerful enough to boggle the mind. But the heart can handle them. The heart can understand them by faith. The heart can say, even uh, let it be uh, according to your word, right? Let it be unto me according to your word. So he's talking about what belongs to him but has been put inside of, invested within you and me. Why would he store it here? Why would he put it here? To empower and enable you and me to fulfill the purpose and assignment that He is most desirous, most focused on, most important, whatever, to His heart. He's given us what He's given to us. He's equipped us the way He has equipped us so that we can then go forth and and literally accomplish, fulfill the entire counsel of His will. Now, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but that's okay. I'm doing it strategically, all right? The decisions to do all of this caused the very angels in heaven to scratch their heads. It it would be like if one of your friends was about, you know, to send $50,000 to a guy who contacted him on the internet saying that he inherited a bunch of money from a prince. And all you got to do is send him 50 grand and he's going to send you back 50 million or something like that, you know, and your buddy's about to do it. And you're like, man, what in the world are you really about to make this kind of investment? As a matter of fact, I believe, and we'll talk about this next Sunday, if we, if we don't get there tonight, I don't think we'll get there tonight, but I want to just mention it, all right? Because what we're talking about right now, this sent shockwaves through the angelic hosts. When this plan was revealed by God, It was the undoing of Lucifer. 
It, it, was, it was what caused him to rebel against God. It's what caused him to question. As a matter of fact, when he realized that God was going to make a new species of being, and that new species of being was going to become one with God and sit on the throne with Jesus, Lucifer said, time out. Time out. This is the most crazy thing ever. I'm not going to participate. This was his undoing. This was his rebellion. Even the angels that did not rebel, the Bible says that they long to look into and understand the love that He has for us. It's unlike anything that they've ever experienced or witnessed. That He would put so much on the line. You realize that part of this plan involved the pledging of Jesus' very life before Adam was ever created to win us back after the rebellion that was eventually going to come took place. The Bible says Jesus was the Lamb of God slain, murdered before the foundation of the world was ever put in place. When I tell you we're a part of something bigger than ourselves, you're a part of something bigger than yourself, are you, are, you, are you seeing what's going on here? And are you seeing why the enemy is so opposed to all this coming to pass, all of this being fulfilled? All right, let me get back up here and try to stay focused on my, in the time we have remaining. Are you okay? Let's go to, um, notice verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power, that you may know what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. This brings us to verse 22, a key verse. And He, God the Father, put all things under His, Jesus' feet, and gave Jesus to be head over all things to the church which is His body. The fullness of Him who fills all in all. Let me come back down there with you. I like it better down there, okay? Are y'all all right? I promise I'll be through in just a minute. <clears throat> one of my favorite discipleship verses and really one of my all-time favorite verses in the Bible, we find it in Romans 12, 1 and 2. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Good, acceptable, and perfect are not three levels or three degrees. You know, some people say, well, I'm not in God's perfect will, but I'm, I'm somewhere between acceptable and good. No, no, no. No, it, that means... Um, uh, well-pleasing, beneficial, all-encompassing will. Three adjectives to describe the will of God. But notice he says, 
that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, and we do not allow the world to influence our thinking, but we're allowing the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to recondition, renew our minds to what end? That we may prove, that we may prove the good, the beneficial, the well-pleasing, all-encompassing will of God for mankind. Church, we've got something to prove. Now, he's going to talk about this in chapter 3. And I keep referring to it. But one of the things that God is wanting to prove through you and me to the powers of darkness is that God can create a being in His image and likeness and then make that being one with Himself. Let me say this another way. There was a time in all of eternity past when Jesus was the only begotten Son of God. He is not the only begotten any longer. He is now the firstborn among many brethren. We've said this so many times this year, and we're going to keep saying it. We're not done with this, but, but we've said that God is an eternal community existing in absolute communion. What that means is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit form a community, and absolute communion means that they share all with the other members. In the Godhead, the community is always above, is always more important than the individual. This is the God who created all things and then created you and me and put us in it, okay? This isn't like God is sitting up on His throne, high and mighty, and telling you to sacrifice, telling you to serve, telling you to offer your gifts to the world. This is who He is. He is love. He gives and He gives lavishly. He gives and He gives extravagantly. He gives and He gives to say generously is not enough to communicate it all. Okay? The one thing about love is it enjoys being shared. God is love, and He had Jesus, perfect Son, but He wanted more just like Him to share His love with, His goodness with. And so the plan was for God to basically create a being that had a choice in the matter and then love that being into oneness with himself. And at least a third of the angels laughed at him for the preposterous idea. Are you understand what I'm saying? They're like, it's never going to happen. It'll never work. It's not... If, if they can do anything they want to do, they're going to do their own thing. They're going to be their own God. They're not going to serve you as God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So when we talk about 
proving the counsel of His will. In Romans 12, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about this plan that that God had to create us in His image and likeness. Now, there's more to come on that. But I wanted to get that part out before we finish this right here tonight, okay? Verse 22, it's on the screen. God the Father put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body. And the church which is His body, according to the Word of God, is the fullness of Jesus. Did you hear that? You are the fullness of Him who feels all in all. That, you need to spend some time thinking about that right there. See, we, we try to live life based upon how we see things. You need to start basing your life upon the way God sees things. The devil's trying to say that the world has entered into the post-relevant era of the church. In other words, that the church doesn't matter anymore. Are you kidding me? The church is the fullness of Jesus who fills all in all. That's a pretty important place right there. The church which is His body is the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Let me give you a couple of other... How about the Amplified? Listen to how this reads in the Amplified. I'll put it on the screen. Verse 23, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all, for in that body lives the full measure of Him who makes everything complete and who fills everything everywhere with Himself. The full measure of Him who makes everything complete lives in His body. The message translation. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which He speaks and acts, by which He feels everything with His presence. That word peripheral, if you haven't... uh, uh, use that word or don't, don't really think about what that word means, that's like something on the outside, something that's kind of... So, for instance, um, a computer peripheral, like you're, you've got the computer, then you've got the printer. So, so the idea is the computer's the main thing and the peripheral, the other thing is just kind of an add-on. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like pickles on your Chick-fil-A sandwich. You can get them on there and not, you know what I'm saying? And, that, and so that's the way a lot of people, they look at the church as optional. You know, I mean, you can, you, know, you can take it or leave it. And that's what the enemy's trying to say in our world today is that the church really no longer matters. I mean, it's there. They do some good works. They, you know, they, they help people. They feed some people. And so, you know, I guess they serve some kind of purpose. But really, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, it's not anything that can't be accomplished through other means anyway. Government programs or blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Wrong, wrong, wrong. 
The church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which He speaks and acts by which He fills everything with His presence. Here's the last one from God's Word translation. The church is Christ's body and completes Him as He fills everything in every way. The church is Christ's body and completes Him as He fills everything in every way. See, one of my favorite scriptures, the Bible says, and you are complete in Him with whom we have to do. Certainly we are complete in Him, but the Bible clearly teaches us that it's not just that you and I are made complete in Christ, but that Christ is made complete in us. I mean, it sounds like something they would hang you for in the 1400s in, in, in Europe. You know what I'm saying? I mean, for saying, daring to even suggest something like that, burn you at the stake for daring to suggest something like that, and yet it's right here in the Scriptures. We are the fullness of Him who fills all in all. He's not complete without us. You see why, the, you see why some of the angels choked on this, don't you? They're like, God, why in the world would you ever make yourself so vulnerable? Why in the world would you ever open up your heart to, 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 to have it broken like that? Why in the world would, would you go to all the trouble to, to create a new race of being and to have billions upon billions upon billions of them come and go on the earth, the overwhelming majority of which will never look your way a second time, the overwhelming majority of which is going to wave the middle finger of their life in your face and do whatever you want to do. Why in the world are you going to send Jesus down there and, and let them tear Him to pieces, torture Him to death, and nail Him, strip Him naked and nail Him to a cross? It just it seems so incomprehensible. He came to His very own people, and His own people rejected Him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right, the power, the privilege to become sons and daughters of God. Amen. Amen. Do not misunderstand me. God so loved the world, Jesus took the blame and the punishment for every sin that will ever be committed on planet earth. The opportunity is there for every single human being to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, no matter where they're from, right, who they are, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He died while we were yet sinners without any guarantee that any one of us would ever receive for ourselves the gift that He so lavished upon us through His death. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Jesus Himself knew this. I'm not speaking negative. Do you hear me? Jesus Himself said this. He said, the way that leads to destruction is like a ten-lane highway, and that's where the whole crowds are headed off the abyss into an, etern into an eternity without Me. But there is a straight and narrow, and few they be that find it. Few they be that find it. Right? See, we live in a world, man, if, if, if 9 out of 10 dentists surveyed said this is the best toothpaste, then it's got to be the best toothpaste, right? We, in other words, where the majority rules. Jesus said, no, that's not how it works in the kingdom. The way that leads to destruction is very wide, 
and a whole lot of people are traveling that path. But there's another path that I've made available. It's straight and it's narrow and only few find it. But oh my, my, the joys that await the few that find it. Amen. Amen. Stand with me tonight. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. The church is Christ's body and completes Him as He feels everything in every way. Let me ask you something. It's not a trick question. It's not a trick question. When we talk about the purposes of God prospering in our hands, does our commitment to those purposes have anything to do with how effectively they're carried out and how much fruit is actually produced to give glory to our Father? The answer to that question is absolutely. Remember when there were so many people in need that Jesus couldn't pray for them all and He looked at His 12 assistants and He didn't say, are you not going to help? He said, would you please pray for people to help because the harvest is so great and the laborers are so few. Jesus knew that without more people to help, even than the disciples, that people were going to die on the vine, so, so to speak. Notice Jesus is saying, the more able-bodied people that we have working to this end, the more fruit is going to be brought into the kingdom to give glory to our Father. So when we talk about effectiveness, are you hear what I'm saying? We talk about effectiveness. The stronger we become, the more mature we become, the more in unity, a kingdom divided can't stand. House divided can't stand, an individual divided can't stand. The more harmony, the more oneness, the more unity, the more submission, the more growth, the more maturity, the more development, the more equipping, all of those things that we experience, that we move forward in as the, as the body of Christ, the more effective we're going to be in fulfilling this assignment of building the church, building the body of Christ. Amen? The less, are you following what I'm saying? The less mature, the, 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 the more divided we are, all, there's the opposite of everything I just said, the less effective we're going to be. This idea that it's all going to turn out however it's going to turn out, whether we do anything or not, is a lie from the devil. Amen. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for these men and women. Thank you for this plan and purpose that was birthed in the Godhead long before Adam was ever created. Father, thank you for helping us understand our part, our place, in you, in your body. That we've been called to complete you. Jesus, as the head, you are perfect in every way. But you have eternally connected yourself as the head to the church, which is your body. And you will rule on your throne until every enemy is under the lowest part of your body, your feet. So thank you, Lord, for helping us tonight see this bigger picture. Thank you, Father, for the things that we've embraced personally and individually. But may we now take it to the next level. 
exchanging our eyes and me's and my's for we's and us's and ours. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I love you. Thank you so much for being here tonight. You are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. Don't